Let us turn now to consider words you will find in the passage we read, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 16, and we may read at verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. <clears throat> now, there is no doubt that as you read this passage, the confession that Peter made of the Messiahship of Jesus opened the way for the organization of the disciples into a church having a constitution and a recognized function. The confession was very simple, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in making that acknowledgement, of course, it wasn't the first time that Peter had recognized his Messiahship, but uh, there was uh, an unfolding to Peter, which I'll see in a minute, of the revelation of God the Father with reference to his own Son. In the confession that he made, he was able to penetrate through the veil of our Lord's human nature and to recognize in his presence not just the Son of Man but, as he says here, the Son of the living God. And yet, there were aspects of that messiahship that Peter found extremely difficult to understand, indeed impossible to understand. But very shortly, as we read another passage, very shortly after he made that confession, he was told by the Lord, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And the reason why he was told to adopt that position, to get behind the Lord, was, uh, or at least why Satan through him was told to get behind the Lord, the reason for it was this, that that for which this Messiah, the Anointed One, had come into the world, namely to die, that 
for which he had come into the world was a thought which was so repugnant to Peter that he was prepared to keep his Lord from the act of dying. And so we have to recognize that though in a measure he was able to understand that the person whom he was following was none other than the Son of God who had become the Son of Man. He found it difficult to understand why that Son of God had become the Son of Man and why he was the anointed, the Messiah of God. He found it difficult to understand, indeed impossible as I said, to understand that that Son of Man had come into the world to die. And yet, from the words of Jesus to Peter, we understand that he was able to penetrate, as I said, through the veil of his human nature and to recognize him as truly the Son of God. And this confession that escaped the lips of Peter and this confession that he made in the name of all the other disciples whom say ye that I am Peter answering for them all said thou art the Christ the Son of the living God that confession our Lord ascribes to the revelation to Peter by God the Father Simon blessed art thou Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. The recognition of the Messiahship of Jesus and the recognition of the Lordship of Jesus is that which is ascribed not to any innate knowledge that Peter possessed, not to any ability that he had, intellectual or otherwise, to work himself towards that day, confession, that recognition. It is attributed to the revelation by God to Peter. This isn't the product of flesh and blood. This isn't the product of gifted understanding, of human intellectualism. This isn't the product of advanced reasoning on your part. This isn't flesh and blood that has brought you to the acknowledgement of this Messiahship. It is a revelation to thee from my Father which is in heaven. And therein lay the blessedness of Peter. Thou art blessed for this reason. And for this reason alone. Not because of any quality characteristic in, the, in yourself not because you are more advanced not more privileged than anybody else not because you hold a place of position or authority above anybody else blessed simply and solely because of what God the Father has done for you and what God the Father has done in you and this is always the nature of blessedness when Jesus came preaching that Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit and so on, 
You will remember, as we saw in the beginning of our studies in the Seven Amount of the Congregation Fellowship, you will remember that blessedness hinges on two things. What God does for a person and what God does in a person. And no one is blessed in the way in which Jesus used the word either here in the sermon, but in that way. Blessed by the grace of God, enlightening his mind. Blessed by the Spirit of God, enlightening his understanding and the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Well then, that confession, as we see now, formed the basis and opened the way for the organization of the disciples into a church having a recognized constitution and a recognized function. And it is at the church that I want to look with you today as it is brought before us here in the words of our Lord because in the receiving children by baptism here today we are receiving them into the fellowship of the Christian church and I want both you to have a look at that church in the light of these words and very quickly and briefly to consider three or four things with you. First of all, the church and its foundation. Upon this rock I will build my church. Secondly, the, gate, the church and its builder. I will build my church. Third, the church and its enemies. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Fourthly, the church and its security. It shall not, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And finally, the church and its authority, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and so on. First of all, then, the church and its foundation. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, <clears throat> this isn't the place nor the time to go into a detailed um, account of the claims that are made by the Church of Rome for the primacy of Peter based upon these words. As you know full well, this is one of the great uh, pillars of the Roman Catholic Church regarding the papacy. It is built upon this, so they claim, the words that the Lord addressed to Peter, Thou art Peter, and I will build my church upon you, the rock. As you know, Peter Petros means rock. Now, this, as I said, isn't the time to go into a refutation of that claim. <clears throat> Just to very briefly suggest to you two uh, other interpretations of these words. First of all, that Jesus referring to himself upon this rock, and uh, by doing that is making a gesture in his own direction, saying to Peter, thou art Peter, but upon this rock, that is me, I will build my church. Now that may be the case, though it is rather, I feel, reading too much into the text because there is no indication here that, Peter, that the Lord made any gesture whatsoever towards himself. But when you take into account many of the other passages in the Bible, such as 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, and a other uh, texts, for example, in Matthew 18, I think that you will readily accept that the foundation upon which Jesus is going to proceed to build his church is twofold, perhaps even threefold. 
It must, in the first instance, have a reference to himself as the foundation that no other can lay but that which is laid Christ Jesus, as Paul goes on to tell it. It must also be the teachings of the apostles which the Lord gave them to proclaim the church is built upon, as Paul tells us again in Corinthians, upon the doctrine or upon the truth, the words of the apostles and the prophets. If we could just, in the interest of time today, and very simply put it like this, the foundation of the Christian church is all that Jesus is, all that Jesus did, all that Jesus was, and all that Jesus said and says. The whole Christian church is built upon that one person, and upon that person's work, and upon that person's words. And that person's words found expression in the likes of Peter. Peter confessed the messiahship of Jesus. Peter was confessing the messiahship of Jesus in the name of all the other disciples. And he, like them, was one of the living stones fitted into this building that Jesus himself says he was going to erect and of which he himself, in his person, in his work, and in his word, is the foundation. And in that case, Peter's confession stood in stark contrast to the rejection of the Messiah by others. Peter's confession recognized him for, for what he was when others were turning away from him and abandoning the claims that he was making. Peter stood up, as he says here, rock-like, steadfast, and made the confession which is part of the foundation of the church structure, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it is on the confession of men, of whom Peter was a representative, that the Lord was going to build his church. And as you see the words of our Lord unfolding here, you will recognize something else. That there was a connection in his mind between the messiahship that Peter confessed and the sufferings that that messiah was going to endure. I will build. The gate of hell will not prevail against it. And from that time forth, he began to show his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. And just when he heard that, that Peter rebuked him. He stood between them. And that which was going to be basic to the very existence of the church, that which was necessary before a stone could be built on it, namely the sufferings and the death that was still ahead of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church's foundation then, I take it to be Jesus, in his person, in his work, and in his words, 
as they found expression in the mouth of Peter and with the rest of the apostles and that which forms for us today the foundation of the church of which we ourselves form a part. Secondly, the church and its builder. I will build my church. Now, <clears throat> here we understand, and perhaps I should have made this clear at the very outset, that when we speak of the church in this connection, we are speaking of the, what some people would refer to as the mystical body of Christ. Others would refer to, us, refer, to, refer to it as the invisible body of Christ. The invisible body. Let us just remind ourselves what the church really is in this context. The church is that body of believers who are brought together by the power of the grace of God and who worship the living God in the name of the living Saviour by the power of the living Spirit. That is the Church of Jesus Christ. It is a body of believers. Or as Peter himself went on to speak it of us, living stones brought together by God. Now how does a person become a member of the Church of Christ? Is it the church session that makes a person a member of the Church? Is it the minister? Or is it the person himself? Of course it isn't. It is the Lord himself. I will build my church. He takes the initiative. He takes the initiative. This is what happens when grace takes hold of a person's life. When a person is converted, born again. He is, by virtue of that act of God in his life, brought into the church of Jesus Christ. The Church of Christ is not the Free Church, nor the FP Church, nor the Church of Scotland, nor the Brethren, nor the Episcopal Church, nor the Church of Rome. The Church of Christ is formed of all those who are saved by the grace of God and brought into living fellowship with the living God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter where he or she may be, no matter who she, he or she may be, no matter what language they use or what creed they have. If they are saved by the grace of God, they are members of the Church of Christ. This is his work, not ours. I will build. Paul may plant, Apollos may water, but God giveth the increase. It is God who brings people by his grace into his own church. And we know that the church is therefore, it is not the creation of man, it is not the creation of the state, it is not subject to the control of the state or dependent upon it in any way. It is not regulated by its laws, it doesn't have its constitution from its state, it has its all from the Lord Jesus Christ. Its life is divine. Its origin is from God. Its power is from God. It is not the product of someone's ingenuity. No one has brought the church into being but God. 
There are denominations which have been brought into being by the will of men and by the acts of men. We owe our origin as a church to the determination and uh, to the foresight and to the courage of men. There are many organizations in the world, good organizations, which owe their origin to men. But this is one which owes its origin to no man. It is independent of man. That it may be solely dependent of God. I will build my church. If you want to use the word originate, it originated in universal commerce in the mind of God from all eternity. God gave this church to the Son. The Son came into the world to die for this church. And the Son has sent the Spirit into the world to bring into the church by His power, working efficaciously in the lives of men and women, boys and girls, bringing them into the church. And the Spirit is in the world and angels are in the world to protect that church and to bring it ultimately into the presence of God until the day dawned when the Son will say of all his people of his church to the Father behold I and the children whom thou art which God has given unto me I will build they were given to me died to save them he sent his spirit into the world to convert them and the means that he uses is his word he brings them in through the instrumentality of the truth. And in a sense he keeps them in there by the power of his grace. Operating through the word. Sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is truth. You can think yourself of various ways in which the Lord builds his church. But always remember that he is the author of it in the world. All those who love the Lord Jesus Christ today are members of his church. And then thirdly, that leads us to consider the church and its enemies. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now this, of course, is figurative language. The gates of hell. What does this mean? Well, you know what the word gates, referring to a city, to a town, had a special significance in the Bible. When an army was going to attack a city, if it took the gates, the city was in its possession. And those who lived in the city, at all costs, they defended the gates. Because if the gates fell, they fell with it. The gates of the city is a symbol for the power of the city, the defense of the city. It was also a symbol for something else. Over and over again you read of, for example, Boaz. He went to the gates of the city to negotiate. Remember to negotiate the relation of the marriage bond between himself and, um, and Ruth. Lot was seated at the gates of the city. That was the place where the business and the legal administration of the place went on. It was a symbol for the, not just for the, for, the, for the strength of the city, but the symbol for the wisdom and the intellectual power and the administrative strength of the city. And here you have the Lord using this word to indicate 
that all the power and all the resources, all the power, all the intellectual strength at the power of hell and at the power of Satan is used against the church of Jesus Christ in the world. And don't you be mistaken into thinking that if you're a Christian, that you ought to draw the admiration of an unbelieving world to yourself. My friend, you won't do that. You will draw the venom of an unbelieving world toward yourself. You will draw the hatred and the opposition of an unbelieving world against yourself. All those who love Satan, who love hell, don't love Christ or his people. They oppose them and they hate them. And there are times when I wonder if we really right in holding up our hands in dismay when people oppose the church of Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be in the least bit surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that people are out to mock the church, out to drag it into the dust, out to destroy it and out to discredit it. Every single Christian, every believer in the Lord is a prey to the power of Satan and to the power of hell. Don't you forget it. And I hope I don't forget it either. Hell doesn't admire the church of Christ. Hell doesn't approve of the actions of the church of Christ. Hell and its emissaries don't applaud the church of Jesus Christ. Hell doesn't wish well for the church of Jesus Christ. It never did and it never will. And I've no doubt that there are people in this church today who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may not like this and you may not really believe it. But I wish you would believe it. Because you don't love him, you're opposed to him. These are his own words. Whosoever is not with me is against me. Of course there are people who feel that this is treading on toes. And that perhaps you should put on the velvet gloves when you deal with people. Well the Lord didn't. Our function is to present the truth. Oh yes, in the spirit of Christ. But at all times the truth. And if you are a friend of hell today. Make no mistake about it my friend. You are opposed to the church of Jesus Christ. You're against it. Oh, you say, well, I've never really opposed it. I'm in sympathy with its stand and so on. Well, that may be the way that you think. But be far better for you to accept the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps without your knowledge. You see, what you tend to forget is this. That Satan could use you without knowing it. Here was this man who made a confession that was foundational to the church's existence. Thou art the son of the living God. Without knowing it, minutes afterwards, a tool in the hand of Satan for the destruction of that very church of which he himself was a member. 
thought, what a sobering thought that is. That you need not be an enemy of Christ to be a tool in the hand of Satan. You could be a friend of the Lord's. And Satan use you to try and destroy the very church of which you yourself are a member. What a thought that is for you and for me. And how many people have forgotten that thought. And have ended up as spiritual shipwrecks. And Satan laughing over them. Because he had used them for his own purposes of hell. To destroy the Christian church. There is no rest here for those who are the Lord's people. There is no rest here for true members of the church of Jesus Christ. One way or another Satan will get at you. One way or another. He will use someone or something to try and destroy you. Oh, my friend, take heed that you and I stand. Take heed. And let us remember also, fourthly, here the church and its security. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church, as he has told us, is not of the world, but it is in the world. And while it is there, there must of necessity be a clash between the two kingdoms who comprise this world, the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of darkness. And yet, the church of Jesus Christ will not be destroyed. It is durable. It is indestructible. As, he, as Paul will tell us in Romans chapter 8, I am persuaded that nothing will separate. Nothing will sever the church from the Lord. There will always be the church of Jesus Christ in the world. He is its builder and the church under his hand will abide. The church will always have its creed and will always have its doctrines and will always have its disciplines. Throughout all ages there will always be the church of Jesus Christ. Oh yes, I know that in the history of this world it seemed as though the church was not in existence at all. Someone was once asked, you probably heard the story already, a godly woman was asked, once asked, where was the church of Jesus Christ in the dark ages? Wherever there was a believing soul praying to God behind a dike, there was the church of Jesus Christ. A denomination may come and go. Branches of the visible church may come and go, as we understand them. There were churches in Ephesus and in Philadelphia and in Sardis and in other areas to whom the Lord addressed letters and said, Repent and believe or else I will come and remove thy candlestick and the candlestick has been removed. They are no longer there. There have been denominations in other areas of our land who aren't there today. And because he says the church will prevail, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, because he says that, that is no reason for you and me to think that the Free Church and the FP Church and the Church of Scotland and any denomination is going to continue forever and ever and ever. That is not the case. He's not talking about denominations. He's talking about the church, the mystical body of Jesus Christ. He leads and he builds and he directs its church. 
He is its strength. And he is its solace. And that church of which he is the builder. And of which he is the foundation. And of which he is its director. That church will always prevail. As long as sun and moon endure. They shall fear thee in the world. There will never come a time. And there has never been a time. Have you realized that? There has never been a time when Jesus Christ was without his own in the world. There will never be a time till the last day come when he will be without his own in the world. In a very real sense, this world in which you and I live today survives, is kept in existence for the sake of the church. Remember one of the great, remember that great inventory that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he lists a catalogue of things which belong to all those who are Christ and amongst them this, the world, the world belongs to the Christian church. And yet, there may be many people in that church who don't have a square inch of the world to call their own. And yet they can say of the world in Christ, the world is mine. It exists for the sake of the church. It exists for the glory of the church, united to her Lord. And no weapon that is formed in the world, by Satan, by hell, or anyone else, will ever destroy the church of Christ in the world. As someone put it, where are things and empires now of old that went and came? There was a time, you know, when the Christian church, as it, as, when the church of Christ, looking at it outwardly, was very weak. And there were then great empires who had trodden underfoot much of what the church of Christ stood for. But here we are today, and can we not say with the poet, where are things and empires now? Of all that went and came. But Lord, thy church is praying still. A thousand years the same. Unshaken as eternal hills. Immovable she stands. A mountain that shall fill the earth. A house not made with hands. The church of Jesus Christ will prevail. Finally in a word, the church and its authority. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and so on. Now of course these words are very difficult indeed to understand. And we ought to, come in to look at them in conjunction with Matthew 18 verse 18 and John chapter 20 verse 20 onwards. Just want to ask one or two questions in connection with it. What exactly is Jesus saying? Well let us say immediately one thing that he's not saying and it is this he is not in any way giving absolute power to the church to determine who belongs to it and who doesn't in a congregation of a thousand people I don't know how many people are believers and how many are not I have not the foggiest idea but he does and he hasn't given me or to anyone else on the face of this earth 
the authority to say who, believe, who are believers and who are that authority lies ultimately and absolutely with himself and he will not delegate it to anybody else it is his to say who are the true members of his church at the same time we know from the word of God that he has organized that church of his or given it an organization it is a body that functions in the world and a body that must like every other body exercise discipline and authority over its own affairs in the world whatever else our Lord is meaning here therefore he is not saying that absolute authority is given to any branch of his church in the world to say who will go to heaven or to, to say who will go to heaven and who will not go to heaven except or rather in so far as the word of God is to say this encourages us to say this and directs us to say this that all those who believe the Lord Jesus Christ as the saviour of the soul and as the foundation of their hope they and they alone will enter the kingdom of heaven and ultimately enter heaven itself and yet that church which is used as an organization in the world must of necessity exercise authority and discipline in other words we know full well from the word of God and anyone who cares to read the Bible cannot turn a blind eye to this that the church of Jesus Christ in the world must determine who becomes a member and who doesn't if it doesn't exercise that authority and that discipline anarchy and chaos reigns within the Christian church the church's authority and the church's discipline is exercised in the name of Christ and again exercised on the basis of the word of God and that church lays down its conditions of entrance when it preaches the word in accordance with what the word of God says nothing is to be added to that word and nothing is to be taken from that word and the church is warranted therefore to take a person who believes and repents and loves and obeys the Lord and to throw its doors open to that person it is perfectly warranted in obedience to the word of God to do that so that whosoever is as it were if the door is opened by the church's authority by the church's leaders to let people into it in accordance with the authority vested with it and if the church exercise that authority in dependence upon the word and in accordance with the word the church is then exercising the discipline and the authority given to it by the Lord the church may declare not augment the conditions laid down by Christ and the apostles for entrance into it as a kingdom and into it as a house and those conditions it must fully 
declare on the very least that a person is asked to subscribe to in seeking church privileges the very least is a confession of faith in Christ as Lord Christ as Messiah the Son of Man who is also the Son of the living God and an admission that that person is subject to the laws of the Lord Jesus Christ governing the church and therefore governing himself and herself. Let us pray. Bless to us, O Lord, thy word. Give us grace that we may put our trust in thee. Guide us with thy counsel, we pray thee. And continue with us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Psalm 89 and we shall read from verse 29 the St. Andrew Psalm 89 verse 29 his seed I by my power will make forever to endure and as the days of heaven his throne shall stable be and sure but if his children shall forsake my laws and go astray and in my judgment shall not walk, but wander from my way, if they my laws break, and do not keep my commandments, I'll visit them their faults with rods, their sins with chastisement. From verse 29 to 37, six verses, in Psalm 89, his seed I by my power will make forever to endure.
passages for the warrant for the administration of the sacrament in Matthew chapter 28 go ye into therefore and teach all nations baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teach them to observe all things that I command unto you <clears throat> Now, if I may just uh, very briefly uh, address a word or two to you in connection with uh, this baptism and just uh, following on from what I was trying to speak about this morning, that, uh, <clears throat> as I said, you come here today to receive the sacrament of baptism on the basis of your own, uh, on the basis of your confession of faith and uh, these uh, confession, the confession that we expect of you as a church is one which we believe conforms to the demands that are placed upon you in the word of God. And uh, in uh, making that confession as you have made at the Kirk session, you also promise to bring up your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And that will form the basis of the few words that I will speak to you here this morning before uh, continuing with the baptism. The uh, <clears throat> great means that God has placed in your hands for the upbringing of your children is of course the word of his own grace and that is a word which adequately fully brings before you all that you or your child will ever need to know about the salvation of God. The scripture are able to make us wise unto salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And uh, the Bible is all that you need to guide you, to direct you, to discipline your own life and to discipline the life of your child. And uh, that word of course can only become a means of blessing in their life and in your own life through the power of the Holy Spirit applying that truth with conviction with meaning and uh, with uh, light 
And I think that the longer that you and I go on in this world, the more we ought to recognize our need of that world and our need of being guided by the truth into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. One or two other things. As you were told at the session, see that uh, the uh, profession that you made there is one which will be meaningful to the child. That child of yours will soon discover whether you mean nothing or not, whether you mean what you say or not, and whether you mean what you've promised or not. And don't be afraid to let your child see you, not only reading the Bible, but studying it, reading it with your child, explaining it to your child. See that your child sees you praying for light, praying for guidance, praying for help. That's a poor legacy that any parent is bequeathing to his child. If he's going to leave that child behind in the world with a child never having had a recollection of seeing his father and mother reading a Bible or going to church, praying with them, guiding them along life's way. The uh, text I had here this morning finished with the words, part of it was the gates of hell shall not prevail against the Christian church. I want to leave you with this thought. Take heed, lest at last the gates of hell prevail against you. Take heed, lest the devil claim you as his own, and you be cast away forever. And that man would want to say this. Take heed, lest you go down to the pit from the land of the Bible, and in the full light of Christ's gospel. Take heed, lest you are found at the left hand of Christ at the last, a lost Presbyterian, a lost free churchman, a lost person from the congregation of Stornoway. Lost because with all your zeal for your own denomination congregation, you never joined the one true church that the Lord Jesus Christ died to found and that the Lord Jesus Christ now builds through the word. Will the parents please be upstanding, the fathers please be upstanding. <clears throat> now I will just put the vows once and run my eye along the whole line and expect to get a nod from you all in answer to these questions. You believe the Lord Jesus Christ to be the only Saviour presented to you by the Word of God which you claim to be your own authority for your life and conduct and you claim that there is no other guide that you have to direct you and you promise in the presence of God and before these witnesses to bring up those your children you present here today for baptism you promise to bring them up in the fear in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. Will the congregation please be upstanding <coughs> and remain upstanding after the prayer. <coughs> Let us pray. O Lord our God, we acknowledge Thee as our God and our Lord and our Saviour. 
We pray for thy presence with us here today as we come together and as we now administer the sacrament in thy name and in accordance with thy word. Do thou give us direction and counsel and guidance and grant that we would recognize the tremendous responsibility that rests upon us and especially upon those who take these vows upon themselves today. Do thou undertake for them as parents and children and bless each one of us here today as a congregation. May it be impressed upon our hearts how indebted we are to thee and how dependent we are upon thee and upon thy grace. Be with us, O Lord, and bless us now this day and forgive our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen. Would you, would you take your children, please, for baptism? Come here. Come Donald Murdo, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord richly bless you. Alison Rona, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord richly bless you. Scott, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord bless you. Erica, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord's blessing be upon you. Helen Jane, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord richly bless you. Christine Diane, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord's blessing be upon you. John, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord bless you. Catherine Louise, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord bless you. Matthew, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Spirit and of the Son. May the Lord's blessing be upon you. David Ian, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord's blessing be upon you. Robert, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord's blessing be upon you. John, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord bless you. And Naomi, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord's blessing be upon you.
Daniel James, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, may the Lord bless you. Gillian, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, may the Lord bless you. Linda, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, may the Lord's blessing be upon you. <clears throat> Let us pray. <clears throat> o Lord our God, we thank thee for thy church in the world and we thank thee for the many blessings that was bestowed upon us within its pale. And as we gather here today, and as these children are now brought into the, within the pale of the Christian church, to receive all the privileges that that church can bestow upon it in accord with thy word and obedience to thy law, we pray for them and for their parents, that they may know the blessing and the favor of God Almighty. We pray that the children may be spared to be a source of enriching blessing to their, children, to their parents. We pray that they may grow up to be princes in Israel and mothers in Israel. That they may know much of the blessing and the favor of God. And that they might enrich the world with their presence. That they may be lights in the world. That they may grow up to be the salt of the earth. To that end, O Lord, we commit them to Thee and ask for Thy blessing upon them and Thy favour with them. Guide them, we beseech Thee, with Thy counsel and help them and each one of us to put our trust in Thee, to look to Thee for needed grace, recognising that without Thee we can do nothing. Have mercy upon us now and go before us, forgiving all our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat>